0: thing to bully us he um and he has to you know I, i i call this bully because that that is what the enemy is he is he is a bully he he has to use tactics especially for those of us that have given our hearts to jesus that are followers of jesus because for anyone who is a child of god for anyone who is a citizen of heaven, uh, he, all he has is tricks and tactics. The enemy has no legal, rightful authority to control your life. If you, if you are a child of God, everything he does in your life, every, every activity that he does to influence you is illegitimate. Um, and we'll talk more about that, that later later. Um, He has no true authority in your life. The Bible talks about, makes it clear that when we come in, when we come in Christ, we are a new creation. When when we come to Jesus, we were bought at a price. We are a son or a daughter of the Most High, and that uh, that eliminates all legal rights and claims he the enemy had to your life at that moment. Amen. That is good news. So we're going to spend a few weeks exposing some of these tricks and tactics. Um we don't have to let the enemy win. He doesn't we don't sometimes we can um again, we can be tricked into thinking that there's a certain amount of of um losing that we just have to do in life that we just have to put up with when it comes to uh some of these things. Last week we we looked at fear and how uh, it was a significant way that the, the enemy likes to to uh, to use to to manipulate us to to, to bully us. Um, I should make mention um, when I say the enemy. I, that's a shorthand for a host of things. Okay, when we say the enemy, it, we we could be talking about, for the most part, we could be talking about um, just fallen nature. How many know we live in a, in a broken world? Um, that, that once Adam and Eve uh, bit that, that apple or that quince or whatever it was, which we'll actually talk about a little bit later, um, and sin entered the world, brokenness entered the world, there, the, the system now in itself and in us, there is um, native to us a brokenness that we, we have to combat and that, that, that the kingdom of God is, is advancing against, but we always have to deal with. Um, there is also, when we say the enemy, we can be talking about, uh, you know, we, we say the devil uh, or Satan, right? Satan um, is, is a being. He is a, an individual. He is a fallen angel who rebelled against God's will and um, him and convinced a whole bunch of angels to, to follow him. And there was, there was a, a, a war, um, which he, he lost. The, big time (laughs) and and loses over and over again but he he is a a a a being he is not he is not god he never was god he'll never be god he's not related to god he's not jesus's brother he's not a reincarnation of some other thing he is just a fallen angel he can he is finite he is he is spirit not just flesh and blood um but he is finite. He can only be in one place at one time. Satan ain't in all our bedrooms. All right? He, he can't be. <laughs> now, that being said, there are lots of spiritual forces. The enemy isn't just Satan. There are, there are other fallen angels. There are other principalities. And we don't, we're not going to go into a whole teaching on on the spirit world today. Um, but all that to say that there there is actual beings, but it's not all the devil. But sometimes it just, because we can't have that conversation every time we have to reference uh, this, we just say the enemy, right? Um, he has a proper name. It is Lucifer. That was his uh, n- angelic name. Um, so every once in a while, you may hear me refer to him as Lou. Um, so when we're talking about Lou and his boys, that's who we're talking about. Um, I do that because, quite honestly, any opportunity to disrespect him is a good opportunity, I think. So we're going to call him Lou. Uh, this week I want to look at two ideas that are, that are so intertwined um, in life that you, you almost can't talk about one without talking about the other. We've all experienced them. We all deal with this idea um, regularly and it's 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 the concepts of guilt and shame all right if we're talking about the bullies in our life guilt and shame rank right up there with with anything else as things that that the enemy would like to use to trip us up to to separate us from our creator and from each other um, and it's you know I've spent all week Studying, looking at this, and it is—it is complicated. <laughs> these ideas and these concepts, largely because while while everyone kind of agrees on what even what these words mean, um, there's still a lot of depending on who you ask and where you come from and, and what kind of what area of um, either. You know, the social sciences, or what part of the world, or, or you're from. These these terms have kind of some different understandings, different definitions, um, and I don't want. We could spend all day today trying to parse out and figure out what the right definition of these words are, but I don't. I don't want to do that. Um, but I do think that there are a few things um, conceptually we have to. It's helpful to know so that when we're talking about these, we're kind of on level playing field, and when you hear other people talk about them, it can give you a little bit of um, some perspective that maybe their understanding of this word isn't exactly your understanding of this word. A lot of, um, there's, I would say, most arguments, most disagreements (laughs) happen because two people um, agree, but they're offended at each other because they disagree about what the word means. This is, uh, happens a lot in, in, in our conversations, um, or disagreements happen because we think we agree, uh, because we use the same word, but our definitions of that word were very different, right? Have you ever had that happen to you? Or you, you say, oh, this is whatever. This is, you say 7 o'clock. Let's be there at 7. And when you say 7 o'clock, you mean... When the clock hits seven dot zero zero, right? But you have a friend that you say, "Let's meet at 7, And to them, they hear, "Oh, seven? Yes, I will leave my house at seven and be there whenever traffic allows." Right? That's <laughs> a difference of understanding of what that means. Um, so, a couple of kind of just big picture things, and then we're kind of we're going to start literally globally, and then we're going to work our way towards towards applying this to our own minds and hearts. Um, but let's just open with a, a word of prayer. Father, God, I just that you would just settle on us. God, would you speak through your word to us this morning? God, would you, you just eliminate any distractions? Would you um, help us to hear your heart clearly? Help me to speak clearly. Um, your intention, your will for this moment. Pray that you would use this time to God, bring freedom. Help us to reflect and um, become more like you this morning. Amen. So, talking about guilt and shame, and I said we're going to start globally. There is, there are some concepts that if you, if you've, uh, if you've done a lot of traveling to different cultures you may um understand this if 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 on if only on an intuitive level it may you may as i am kind of reading some of this stuff you may understand this um if you've studied sociology or anthropology or done a lot of uh you know kind of even biblical history there's been a, a an increase in understanding and talking about this um Looking at when trying to understand biblical texts, especially the Old Testament, Um, there's this this understanding or this idea that that different parts of the world and different different time periods um, have different worldviews. We we know that right. We understand that um, in concept. But and one of the ways that we've kind of people have understood this to to take place is is through this. Um, dividing the groups into two or three different categories. W- one would be called um, guilt-based cultures, and one another would be uh, shame-based cultures. Now, th- there's a third that they would call fear, but we're not going to get into that because well, we talked about that last week, and um, it just didn't fit in my notes. So <laughs> there, there, there is a third. Maybe we'll, we'll come back to that some other time. But um, guilt and shame-based cultures, okay? The, the, there are... Now, this is not saying that this cult, everybody in this culture feels guilty and everybody in this culture fears, feels shame. It... Um, but it does frame how we understand and where we understand um, our ethics, our morals come from. Uh, in, in a guilt-slash-innocent-based culture, um, the, the, the culture itself is, is, leans towards an individualist perspective. So this would be us. Um, this would be us. Right. Western American. um, We are we are a guilt based culture. We measure everything with the yardstick of right and wrong. We make laws that determine innocence and guilt. Um, Knowing and exercising individual rights is a primary concern. We teach children to be law-abiding and expect them to develop a conscience, right? We talk a lot about conscience and, and knowing what's right and wrong in your inner voice and um, being just, just in, in, within yourself, right? Um, we define innocence as being right or righteous. People feel guilty for what they have done or not done. Communication style is very direct, and um, confrontation is, is acceptable. Now, if you've only grown up in, in a very Western um, bubble, as I describe that, you may be going, OK, what else is there? <laughs> like, yes, that's the way, that's the way things are. Um, yeah. I hate to bust that bubble, but that's not always the way things are that's the way <laughs> that's the way things are uh here um but that is not the that is not the perspective of of a lot of people um, there's a whole part of the world, and as we'll talk about later, the Bible was written in a very different cultural mindset it was written the bible was written and 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 in the East still, and even in the the Middle East, um, written from an honor-shame culture, which which thinks very differently, kind of tries to address the same questions, and and, in practicality ends up a lot of times at the same place, but gets there a very different way um, than a guilt-based culture. Honor cultures are generally collectivist, right? So the, the, the focus, the, the, the highest goal is the collective, is the group. Um, the issue isn't so much right or wrong, but the focus is honorable or dishonorable, okay? So the, 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 in, in those cultures, the, the highest thing you are searching for or the thing you are trying to avoid is I, I, I'm, you want to seek honor and avoid being dishonorable, Acquiring honor and avoiding shame are the highest goals, which just said. Uh, self-expression and fulfillment are less important than the group success and honor. Now, this, for us, for many of us, sounds like heresy, right? <laughs> like, what do you mean? No, it's, it's you, 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 this is the, 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 and the, from the guilt-based perspective, that's not, no, that doesn't work. You have to. You have to uh, be good within yourself, be righteous, and then as you become this good, righteous person, you are an add to the community. But it doesn't matter what really matter what the community uh, thinks or, or or does, because it's it's more about me first. Um, but in honor, in honor and shame based culture, it, it's completely flipped on its head. The the primary concern perspective is is the the group, not the individual. Um, Shame comes from failing to fulfill the group's expectations. Individuals sacrifice for the good of the team, the family, the village, the country. And communication is uh, indirect and body language communicates feelings. The unspoken is as significant, if not more significant than the spoken. So very different, right? Very different ways of communicating, very different value systems um, as far as where, um, what is the source of, of, of your, your standards and the status of you as a person, right? In the guilt bit, guilt-innocence-based culture, it, the focus is, is me. It's, it's, I, I, there's this objective set of things that I, I adhere to, that I kind of, and ultimately especially current culture, I decide what those are, and as long as I live up to them, I have a certain status, right? I'm good, I'm bad, I'm whatever. Honor-shame-based, it's that, that status, that esteem, that value is decided by the group, and and what they they think of you. Now, depending on which one you grew up in or you understand, the the tendency most of the time is to make a value judgment on the other one, right? So if you grew up in one culture, you look at the other culture and you go, you guys are nuts, right? (laughs) And it goes both ways. the point of, of bringing these up is not so that we can figure out which one's better, or which one's right, or which one's wrong. The point is that they're different. The point is that we have to understand these things, especially if we're going to, um, if we recognize that that Scripture, that Bible, was written from a perspective that's different than most of ours. Right. Not all of ours. And in fact, um, you know, we are blessed with a very diverse congregation, very diverse community. We have more than the average, um, you know, Columbus church, probably of mix of cultural backgrounds. Um, and, and that's one of the things I love about this place. I, I, it's one of the things that it can be a strength as we, we share our experiences with each other. We, we're, we're, you're only a few seats away probably from somebody that has a different cultural perspective than you. And if we will take advantage of that, we have a very unique um, opportunity to understand um, these cultural differences in a relational way. Um, so these cultural perspectives describe the, the dominant source of a person's value, status, and esteem. Okay? That's, that's the purpose of these things. Um, but every culture deals with both. It's not like guilt and innocence has no place in an honor-shame culture and vice versa. Um, it's helpful to be aware when we read the Bible that we're coming at it from a different perspective. Um, and I just want to, before we go any further, I want to give you a couple of verses where this can play itself out. It's important. We can see some of this, the, these differences. First 1 Corinthians 5.2, Paul's writing to the church at, at Corinthians. He says, You are so proud of yourselves, you, you should be, but you should be in mourning and shame. You should remove this man from your fellowship. We won't go into all that's going on there, but... Um, and if we skip down a little bit later in that same letter, Paul writes in verse five, "I am saying this to shame you." Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? Now that, that first off, um, th- this is very strong language because as we we just read um, in the, on an honor shame based society, you, you're not you don't confrontation. It's not that it's never done, but it's always done very judiciously because it's very, um, it's way more significant than, than in a guilt-based society. I mean, you know us, we, we love to confront each other. Half of, our, half of our TV shows, half of, you know, our, our, all of our, our, our talk shows are just what? People just arguing with each other, just confronting each other with all the things. It's, 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 it's a big part of who we are. We do it for sport. We, just, we like confrontation. Um, but in an, in an honor-shame-based society, if there's a confrontation happening, you know it's a big deal. Um, in these verses, uh, and it even says here, I'm, Paul says, I'm saying this to shame you. Now, it's very important we understand what was meant by Shame. Right? Because if we have a different understanding of that, then our use of this will take this as justification to shame people, right? Um, but if what we think shame means in this verse isn't the same thing as what Paul meant, we, what? We can end up doing something on accident, <laughs> just thinking we're justified. Because we misunderstood um, what was really going on in this, this verse. Uh, when we think of shaming somebody, it, it, it's much more, and we'll talk, talk a little bit, we, we have a different, a little bit different shift in, in our understanding of what, what we tend to mean when we think of shame. When, in, in an honor-based society, shame, uh, for us, we could almost replace the word guilt um, the, the point Paul is trying to make is that they, in this situation, there was a situation that they should have been—we we'll use guilt language here—they should have felt guilty about. They should have been convicted about that. They that they felt justified, and they were they were saying was okay, and they were saying wasn't a problem. And and so Paul is confronting that in this, and he's he's saying you should you should feel guilty about it. this is wrong. But in that, in that culture, the way they do that is through, through shame, not, not through guilt language. Um, like we discussed last, last week with fear, there's an appropriate time to experience these things. Ecclesiastes says there's a time for, there's a season for everything under the sun. Sometimes we are guilty. Right? Sometimes we did it. <laughs> Sometimes there, there, is, there is a guilt to be dealt with. Sometimes we should feel some shame. Sometimes that is the appropriate response, just like fear. Sometimes there are times to be afraid. If you step out into the, step off the curb and look and all of a sudden there's a bus coming at you, fear is a good response right it's gonna it's gonna kick in those those, the the the, those that adrenaline and help you get out of the way of the bus it it's not all bad guilt and shame in proper understanding of them from that that guilt being acknowledgement that that you did something wrong shame meaning acknowledgement of, of of doing something improper but it's a you know, a, a force externally being pressed on you. It's your, you feel shame when the culture, when your team, when your group tells you you did something wrong. That's kind of in a big picture. That's kind of the, the, the difference we're gonna we're gonna play for these these healthy ideas for for guilt and shame. There's a with the right response, these things can lead to good godly healing and restoration in our life. Without them. We can just wander off. We will just wander off into whatever it is we feel like doing, right? These these can be useful in our life. The problem is that literally since our first experience with guilt and shame, our reflex has not been good. (laughs) Um, Guilt and shame were some of the first things like that happened. After the fall. They are the re- result of the fall. And, and, and so we're going to go back to that, that, first, that first mention where we, we, we see these things introduced into our world. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 25, um, says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Right? So, right off the bat, we were told at the beginning there was no shame. Can you imagine living in a world where there's no shame? <laughs> Can you imagine living, having an existence that had zero shame, zero guilt, that you could walk around naked and feel okay with it? That that would be crazy. I—it's one of my—you know—everyone's got their long list of questions for God. This is going to be one of mine. Like, really? Like, why? Why naked? <laughs> why is why was that the primary uh, first thing that that when we when when shame when sin entered the world? Why was that the first thing we were like, oh, that's not good? You know, I don't I don't know. Um, I'm curious. But the man was naked and he felt no shame. And if we keep going, we see the introduction of all these things. The serpent, you know the story. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals. That the Lord had made one day he asked the woman "Did God really say to you You must not eat the fruit of the tree. Of course, we may eat of any of the fruits of the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. And God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die. The serpent replied to the woman. God knows your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil woman was convinced she saw the tree was beautiful and it looked delicious so she wanted the wisdom it would give her she took some fruit and ate it she gave it to her husband and he ate it and at that moment their eyes were open and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness watch this so it's the immediate thing they do so shame we're reading the sentence it's the moment of conception of shame into humanity And their reaction is so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. This is our primary first reaction when we experience shame. We go to hide. We try to cover it up. When the cool of the evening breeze was blowing, the man and his wife heard God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees what a silly thing to do what i mean (laughs) how is that gonna go you've been the the lord's been coming who knows how long for years decades we don't know um every evening they would god would show up and they would take a walk together and then all this happens and god comes from his his evening stroll with them and, and they go hide behind a bush or something what how did they think that was going to end? Like God was just going to forget that they were there? Like, oh, I guess they moved and go back up, <laughs> go back up and you know, not bother them anymore? Dad has a saying, sin makes you stupid. And yet uh, more evidence of that. So they hid from the Lord, and in verse 9 it says, Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? he replied i heard you walking in the garden so i hid because i was afraid because i was naked who told you that you were naked the lord god asked have you eaten from the tree whose fruit i commanded you not to eat and the man replied it, so so now there's an accusation so now we we've, we've we've there's shame right there was shame initially and now we're getting into god is here the 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 decider of what is right and wrong. And so now we see guilt coming into the, into the story. And um, there's an accusation levied from God to the man saying, you did wrong. And his response is, it was the woman. The woman you gave me, a matter of fact. Not that I'm saying it's your fault, God, but I didn't make her. And so the Lord asked the woman, What have you done? It was the serpent. Right? That's why I ate it. The moment man sinned, guilt and shame were born, as well as our reflex to them. We hide from our shame, as we see with the fig leaf, and we shift guilt. We play the blame game. Anything to avoid letting them land on us. There's a quote by, a, by I, think he's a, I think he's a sociologist, uh, Christian sociologist called Daniel DeWitt, says, th- though guilt and shame are twins, both born in the garden, only moments apart, they aren't identical. And this, th- now we're going to start shifting to kind of cultural guilt, Cultural shame, we talked about those. We're going to start moving towards um, talking about personal guilt and personal shame. Okay? And and I I love this quote because I think it helps us put some language to to how they affect us differently um, when when we're dealing with them as as things that we are struggling with. He says, guilt is usually... um, they're, although they're born only moments apart, they aren't identical. Guilt is usually tied to an event. I did something bad. Shame is tied to a person. I am bad. Um, I, I like to think of it this way um, Guilt is the car crash, shame is the injury that results. And I think it's a great analogy because like in a car crash, you don't have to be driving to end up in the hospital, right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you were behind the wheel or not. If, if, if you're riding with a friend and you know, they run a red light and the car gets smashed, you're not guilty of that car wreck, but you can still be wounded by it. And that's 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 why shame a lot of times is is more complicated than guilt. Um, because it plays dirty, <laughs> really. Um, we, we we see examples of this in scripture in Joshua chapter nine or five verse nine says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. There was a sh- he God. I mean, in this verse, God's doing something amazing. He's rolling away the shame. But look, where the source of the shame was? It was slavery in Egypt. That wasn't something they did wrong. But there was still a shame attached to it that God had to deal with. God had to remove. In Job, maybe the. the the professor of all things suffering. Um, if, you've ever, if you're familiar with the story of Job, um, it's a whole book on suffering because he had a chunk of his life that was just the literally the worst life ever. Um, verse 15, he says, If I am guilty, too bad for me. Even if I'm innocent, I can't hold my head up high because I am filled with shame and misery. Shame and guilt are connected, but they're not... They're not married. You can, be, you can be dealing with shame and know you're innocent. The good news is we have a God who loves us, who knows us and has made a way for us to deal with both our guilt and our shame. And we see this from the beginning that this has always been God's heart for us. If we go back to the garden, we see a beautiful picture of the Lord's heart in these situations. Um, So Adam and Eve sin. God, uh, we've just read that. God explains the consequences for those actions. Right? The curses. You know, women birth is not going to be enjoyable. Guys, work is going to stink from now ever. and all the rest of it. God explains the consequences of his action, but then look what happens next in, in chapter 3, verse 21. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. It's kind of a little verse thrown in there, but it's a, it's a powerful image. God makes, where did he get the animal skins? He made a sacrifice. God makes a sacrifice to cover their shame. He doesn't tell them to do it. He doesn't wait for them to languish in their nakedness for a while. He doesn't, you know, have them, well, I'll, I'll get to it. Just stand there awkwardly naked for a few years, and then I'll, uh, once, you, once I know you're sorry, then I'll cover it. No, it's, it's, immediately after these consequences. He doesn't wait for them to languish. We don't even have a record of any sort of repentance on Adam and Eve's part before God makes this move towards restoration and covering them. There's really nowhere in the story where we see Adam and Eve saying, God, we're sorry. Forgive us. You know, They may have. I mean, we don't know. But that's not... That wasn't a significant enough part of the story for it to really be recorded for us. Of course, this is a beautiful picture, but it's also just a foreshadowing of God's real plan to deal with this. Right? Though, through His grand plan to deal with this once and for all, to deal with all of it, when God Himself would come Jesus would offer himself as a sacrifice, right? But his sacrifice was so so powerful that it doesn't just cover like the animal skin, it actually removes the guilt. It actually has the power to to replace shame with honor. It's much more powerful than that, than the original sacrifice. Jesus literally came to become our scapegoat, who's slaughtered. Not just because of our guilt, but for the purpose of removing it from us. And there's a difference there. Listen, we're all seeking to answer two questions What do I do with my guilt and my shame? And where do I find, how do I establish my my esteem, my value, and my worth? Right? Those are two of the biggest questions we will, even if we don't want to acknowledge that we're asking them, we are asking them. And sometimes we're, we think we have the answer, so we, we try to ignore the question because we know we're afraid or we know what the answer is going to be. And it's not a good answer. Listen, guilt based cultures would teach us to look inward for those answers right it it's right and wrong you be good you do good you do right you you live justly however you define that but the nice thing is you know especially in our our current culture the nice convenient part is we'll add in and you can define what right and wrong is you know to make sure that you can live up to it because you defined it um and there's a there's a growing belief or this this idea that, that if I can do that, if I can just eliminate all of the external things that are, are trying to tell me I'm bad, then I will I will finally be feel the innocence that, that I know I should feel. Right? That's that that's the, the kind of the the humanistic way we're we're trying to approach, trying to get past our guilt. In shame-based cultures, they they teach you to look outward, right? Be honorable. As long as you, you you can live a life that in the eyes of the people around you, they give you the thumbs up, you'll be okay. You'll be great. The truth is, one's not right, one's not better. They're both wrong. The truth is, we don't look in, we don't look out, we look up. The right answer to which culture is the right culture is not guilt culture, it's not shame culture, it's kingdom culture. And kingdom culture is very different than guilt and shame because it doesn't want any part of either. The whole point of God's kingdom is to, to it wasn't originally designed to be there, and now He is working towards eliminating it once and for all. This is the kingdom we, we are we sign up for when we, when we follow Jesus, when we become His Son. We have a God who knows our guilt, knows our shame, knows our flaws, who loves us anyway, who values us anyway, who can forgive and remove our guilt, and who removes our shame and replaces it with the honor of His name. The honor of His name. Listen, so much of our, our, our lives were spent trying to... Uh, deal with and, and feel valued and feel respectable or feel, however you however you you or your perspective um, however you would phrase it we're trying to just, we're trying to be right right we're trying to be okay or be be worthy but the reality is that only comes when something bigger and better than you gives it to you And that's what what Jesus does. Hebrews 12.2, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Listen, disregarding the shame. So Jesus dealt with shame, obviously. Um, Jesus' death in that culture was literally the most shameful experience one could go through. It was designed that way by people who were really good at doing shameful things and shaming people. But he disregards that shame. He chose to to ignore it. I don't don't care what it looks like. It's worth it. I want to do this because I I don't want them to have to deal with this shame. So I'm going to ignore it so I can remove it from them. So he disregards the shame, and and now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. So he does all that. He's exalted. And what does he do with that honor? What does he do with that name that's highly exalted? Gives it to us. Not because we deserved it. Not because we earned it. Not because we came, we became enough like him to really look like him, and so now that's my boy. No, (laughs) he gives it to us because he loves us because we were willing to say, "God, my name's not good enough. I did this thing. I am this thing." Shame is something, guilt is something that, that we need something outside ourselves to deal with. And the only thing that's strong enough is replacing who we think we are with the, the value uh, of somebody that has the right to, to change that. And the person that has the right to change is the person that created you. So we're shame is 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 like I said, it plays dirty. Um, it's real good. The enemy loves to use it to make us own own the things that have happened to us, right? And so we hide them. And then, and then Lou and his buddies get, get in your ear and they, they run commentary on it. Right? And they, they ascribe, they try to ascribe the meaning to the event. It's your fault. You deserve that thing to happen to you because look at all these other bad things you did, even though they, the two may have no connection whatsoever. Well, that thing happened to you, so now you're just going to be like this forever. See, you were weak and you let that thing happen, and so now every time there's an opportunity for something to happen, it's going to happen to you. And enough of that goes on. We allow enough of that in our mind to go on and the things that happen to us, the The shame of those things becomes our identity, becomes how we look at the rest of life, how we look at other people. Jesus is saying it doesn't have to be that way. Because that's not how I see you, and how I see you is the only thing that really matters. It's the truth. Listen, if you're if you're looking at yourself through through those lenses of, of shame and guilt, of things that you've you've repented of, you've taken to the Lord, you know, you've dealt with. Um or it wasn't even really your burden to begin with. It was thrust on you by somebody else, what through somebody mistreating you or some circumstance that happened. We can do a lot of, and it's, it can be helpful at times to really do the work of digging through those things. Um, but I feel like today, let's start kind of start at the end of the process. And maybe the Lord will circle back around to get into, get into the nitty-gritty of all of it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what all that stuff is. God's eyes and so I want to close today with just just a moment um, to invite the Lord ask give you guys a chance to invite the Lord into um, into some of those hidden areas and ask God to show you um, what he thinks about you in the light of that thing Maybe a, a, a sin that you're even now struggling with. It could be, um, you know, the shame of something that happened to you. You may be sitting here with something that, that uh, it's not a, a sin that you did, it's something that uh, came upon you because of somebody else's actions. It could be guilt. Um,. Ba- you know, the enemy is real good at sh- shifting these things up. <laughs> he puts guilt on shame and shame on guilt and does like three-card Monty with it. You know, sometimes, sometimes we, he, we feel guilty for something that wasn't our fault because we already felt ashamed about not doing this thing right. And so then the enemy can use that to say, well, see, you didn't do this thing right, so that bad thing happened, so you caused it. really just feel like God's just saying to some of us this morning, I I don't care about all that. (laughs) I I love you. Come to me. Would you just expose? Would Would you stop hiding? Would you stop hiding your shame? Stop hiding this guilt and bring it to me because I've already paid for it. I've already given, you already know my answer. My answer is already, it's paid for. If you will bring it to me, I will put it in the past. I will cast it as far as the east is from the west. You can live without that shame. But it starts, just like in the garden, it starts by coming out from behind the bush. Um let's pray, God, we just take this moment and we just ask that you, Holy Spirit, would you just show us um, the areas of of our life that we we're we' getting bullied in because where we haven't dealt with our shame and our guilt. We've been hiding it, and it's causing all sorts of other problems that maybe we're not even making the connection.